If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them to the book of John, to chapter 17. The 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. And I want to say a word of thanks to all of you who've come today. And listen, I really do love and appreciate your pastor, uh, Brother Barrett. He's a dear friend, and uh, we get together quite often and have long talks, and uh, I really do love him. And thank God for what is happening here at Island Community Church. And my wife, Barbara, was here today, but had an emergency and had to go back and get her van and drive to Texas and uh, take care of her uh, mom and dad for a day or two. And uh, so she was not able to come, uh, stay. And uh, then in two weeks, Barbara and I will be leaving for East Africa. We'll be out in Rwanda and Uganda and uh, Kenya and Tanzania, and we'll be there until May. So we'll be there a long time, and we appreciate your support and your prayers uh, for us. Today I want to speak on a a topic that I believe is going to really possibly has the potential to totally change your life. Because what I want to speak on today did change my life back many years ago. And what I want to share with you today, I have shared with literally tens of thousands of people around the world. And if there's any one message that I want to communicate with Christians, those who've already been saved, born again, if this is the one thing I like to communicate more than any other thing. And that is in John chapter 17 and verses 3 and 4. And I want to speak to you today about knowing God. After you're saved, how do you really know God? In John chapter 17, verse 3, it says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now look in verse 4, because it says in verse 4, and I'm not going to speak on verse 4, I could uh, speak on verse 4, that would be another message. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And you want to bring glory to the Lord, then you got to complete the work. You know, many begin, but when it boils down to it, only a few really wind up ending. And I hope all of you will make a commitment by the grace of God. Not only have you begun, but when you get to be my age and older, you will end and finish well. So many drop out. So I want to show you today in a practical way, and I'm a real practical person, I want to show you today how you can make it to the end. And the way to make it to the end is put into practice verse 3. Now, when I was a missionary in Brazil, I was there almost 20 years, we'd have pastors to come from America. They'd bring all the missionaries in for a week, and they would preach to us. So that was a time when we got to do what you're doing, just sit there and listen and absorb the Word of God. And it was always a great time. And one of the pastors that spoke to us was from Florida. His name was Peter Lord. And uh, he came and he said something to all of us missionaries one day. It really was kind of hilarious, but it had a deep truth. And I want to share with you what he told us. I never forgot this. He said this. He said, the main thing is to make the main thing the main thing. Now, I want you to repeat that after me. After me now, not with me, but after. I'm going to say it first, then you say it. The main thing is to make the main thing the main thing. All right, let's do it again. The main thing is to make the main thing the main thing. Now, I want to ask you a question. What is the main thing in your life? 
What is the main thing? I mean the main thing, the one thing that's above everything in your entire life. For some of us, to say, well, it's my wife or my husband. And for some of us, it's maybe your career. If I'm speaking to a bunch of preachers here today, which I'm not, I'd be saying, for many of you preachers, it's your church. But I tell you, there is something more important than any of that. And Jesus says here in John chapter 3, a very interesting statement. He says, in my opinion, the main thing, and if you ask me what the main thing is for me, here it is. It's eternal life. And you say, well, why do you say that? Because many people say, well, eternal life is to go to heaven after you die. That's not what eternal life is. That's the result of having eternal life. Others say, well, eternal life is to have the peace of God in your heart right now. Again, that's not eternal life. That's the consequences of eternal life. You know, Jesus tells us what eternal life is right here in John chapter 17, verse 3. Let's look at it. He says, this is eternal life. This is eternal life that they might, what? Know the one true, only, living, creator, holy God and Jesus Christ. Now, what does that word know mean? Don't look now, but later on you can. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, that word is used. And here's how it's used. Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and bore a son named Cain. Now, get that. Adam knew Eve. Here, the Bible's talking about, when it says the word know, talking about a sexual relationship between a husband and and his wife, Adam knew Eve, and she conceived, bore a son named Cain. Now, I find it very interesting that when Jesus goes to define what eternal life is, he uses that word. Isn't that interesting? Of all the words he could have used, he used a word to describe a sexual relationship between a husband and wife. He said, that's what it means to know God. What in the world is he talking about? Here's what he's saying. When a husband and wife have a sexual relationship, these two people become one. That's why it's wrong to commit adultery or fornication, have sex outside of marriage. You see, you become one with that person, that person becomes one with you. And what Jesus is saying is, this is eternal life. It's when you become one with God and God becomes one with you. And that's why the Bible uses over and over and over the phrase, when you come to the Lord, you are in Christ, and Christ is in you, and Christ is in you, and I am in Christ. And that word is used constantly throughout the New Testament. I'm in Christ, and in Christ, and Christ in me. And what it means to have eternal life is to be one with God, and God is one with you, and Christ is in you, and you're in Him. When I was up in Washington, D.C., I served in Vietnam in 1968, not as a soldier, but as a missionary. And uh, that was before most of when all of you were born, so you read about the Vietnam War. And uh, <clears throat> to give you an example, I think we've lost like 4,000 soldiers in Iraq. But we lost, we had 53,000 killed in Vietnam. It was a bad war. And the whole time we had missionaries there. And you may not have known it, but we did. And I was one of them. When I came back to the United States, I became a missionary, <coughs> uh, kind of an unusual calling. Uh, we had millions of these hippies. They had long hair and they took drugs and went to these big old rock concerts and wore Indian clothes and, and all that. And so God called me. You know, no hippie would go to church, so God called me to be a missionary to the hippies. So I let my hair grow out long, got me some Indian clothes, and I didn't take dope, but uh, I, uh, I went into their world. 
went into Washington, D.C. And, and began a ministry on the streets, had a band and group, and we'd go out and do concerts. I'd preach, work down on the 14th and 8th Street. You know, the, the world's largest pornography shop is three blocks from the White House. And I'd stand out there in front of the White House, and I had a little track I wrote called Raw, Naked, and Red Hot. had a picture of a woman on it, and I'd stand out there and hand that thing in front of that pornography shop. No one would throw my track away. Raw, naked, and red hot. You open up and say, this is the way God will see you on Judgment Day. Raw, naked, and your sins, red hot in your hands. <laughs> I pass those things out by the millions right there. Anyway, I was a street preacher and a hippie preacher and pornography preacher and whatever else you want to call it. But anyway, I was out there doing all that. And we'd have these conferences in Washington and these preachers would come and they would uh, <clears throat> preach. And one time I, I went and, and uh, this guy said, he gave this uh, illustration. He said, you know, <clears throat> Charles Spurgeon, and you probably never heard of him, many of you hadn't, but he was from England. And uh, he was a godly man and a mighty man of God, mighty man of the Word, preached the power of the Word of God, and he literally turned England upside down for Christ. And he made a powerful impact on the nation of England. And he said, you know, the secret of his power and the secret of his success in ministry was that he got up every day at 4 o'clock and he prayed for four hours a day. And I was sitting back there, I was just a young guy, and I said, man, if that's a secret, I'm going to go and do that. So I went to the altar and said, Lord, I'll do that. I had a friend named Joe who was a carpenter, and he made me an altar, and I put that altar in my bedroom. And I said, I'm going to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'm going to pray just like Charles Spurgeon did and get the power that Charles Spurgeon had. And so uh, I set my clock at 4 o'clock. And man, I mean, I'll never forget, this was in 1976, that first day that clock went off at 4 o'clock and my body was nowhere near ready to get up. And because uh, you see, I, I, I forgot about, I'd been, you know, hippies sleep during the day and, and they're and they up all night, so if you're going to have a ministry to the prostitutes and hippies and all that, the drug world, you got to be up at night. So I go to bed about 1 o'clock, man, at 4 o'clock, man, that little clock went off and I went, oh my gosh, oh. I crawled out of that bed and said, I made a commitment. And I went down there and I knelt down at that altar and I started praying. I mean, after five minutes, I was pure sound asleep down there. <laughs> I woke up. I said, God bless my wife up there in that bed. I said, she's so peaceful sleeping and I'm down here suffering, but God bless her. And I said, I said Lord, bless my son over in that other bed and bless my daughter in that other bed. And I said, Lord, bless my, uh, my dad. <clears throat> I said, God bless my mama. And Lord bless my brother, and Lord bless my sister. I said, God bless my uncle. I said, Lord bless my aunt. And I looked at my <laughs> three minutes had gone by. I said, What am I going to do down here for four hours? I said, Man, what am I going to do? I had no idea. I got three hours and 57 more minutes to go. And you know, and it was in that moment in 1976. <clears throat> I didn't see a light, <clears throat> didn't hear an earthquake, no earthquake, and there was no loud voice, but God spoke in that inner voice. He said, you've been a missionary and you've been a preacher and you're a preacher now and you're saved, but there's one thing I want you to know. He said, you don't really know me in a deep way. Oh, you're saved, you're called, you preach. But the secret of my, of my power is not getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning. It's not even praying four hours a day. 
But the secret and success of a victorious Christian life and having the power of God in your life is to know Him. It all starts by giving your life to Christ. Because Jesus did die for your sins. And there's only one payment for sin that God will accept. And it's not belonging to a church and it's not being baptized in the Mississippi River and it's not doing the best you can. It is death by blood. That's the only payment God will accept for your sins. And that's why Jesus came and He died on that cross and shed His blood to pay for all the things that you've ever done wrong and ever will do wrong. And then He rose from the dead and He wants to live in your heart. And if you've never given your life to Him, I'm telling you, you'll never find peace until you say, Jesus, I surrender my life to You. Come into my heart. And when you do that, you begin to take a step of knowing God. You can do that right now, even before I finish this message. You can pray and say, Lord, I have an emptiness in my life. And that emptiness is you. You'll never fill that vacuum up with success and a career and money and fame. and It will never happen because God created you with an empty hole in your soul that only He can fill through Christ. All you got to do is just say, Lord, come in. And He will receive you. But then after you come in, He wants you to walk with Him. He wants you to get to know Him. He wants you to experience His victory and His power and His joy and His peace in your life. And how does that happen? That was my question that day on my knees after I'd already finished Bible college, seminary, been a missionary in Vietnam, was a preacher. I came to that point and said, Lord, tell me how to get to know you in a deep way. Well, it wasn't very long after that. God sent another preacher in my life and taught me something I want to teach you this morning. In Matthew chapter uh, 11, Verse 15, there's a little short verse that goes like this. If you have ears, let him hear. Now I could do a whole seminar on prayer. There's a lot of aspects to prayer. You know, there's petition, we're asking God, there's thanksgiving, there's praise, all these things. But there's one thing about prayer no one has ever taught me in church or in seminary or anywhere else, and that was this one right here. How to hear God speak. You know, I never heard a sermon on that. No one ever taught me how to do that. In fact, let me just show you what my prayer life was like. Let's just take this chair right here. And let's say that's the throne of God. Well, I'll even do something else. Come up here, would you? What is your name? Tyler. Tyler. I'm I'm Brother Wade. (laughs) Suppose, Tyler, you and I were close friends. I've never met you before, but let's just suppose we were. And I come up to you every day and I go, Hey, Tyler, how you doing, man? And I start talking, 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 talking. When I get through talking, I say, Good to see you. And I turn around and I walk off. <laughs> then the next day, I go, Hey, Tyler, good to see you, man. Blah, 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 blah. And you start to say something. I say, Good to see you again. And I do that every day. What kind of relationship are we going to have? We're not going to have much, are we? Well, isn't that the way we do, God? Let's say God's sitting on, that, on His throne. And I come up to the throne of God, and here's my prayer. Lord, I need this, and this, and this, and this, and this. Lord, blah, 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 blah. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. See you tomorrow. <laughs> Next day I come back and say, Lord, blah, 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 blah. I need this, I need that. Oh, Lord, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And I turn around and walk off. And I do that every day. And I thank God sitting on his throne sometime, and he said, Wade, shut up. Let me talk. 
Does that describe your prayer life? So I want to just share with you the rest of my time here. Practical ways that you can hear God speak back. And when you learn the secret of hearing God speak to you, I'm telling you, you'll get to know God. You'll get to experience God like never before. And then you come to these crises and forks in your road. You gosh, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Now you'll know what to do because the first thing is to hear from God. And when you hear from Him, there ain't no turning back. It'll be crystal clear the path you're to walk. How to deal with the trials and tribulations of your life and the crisis and the hardships that are going to come. So what is the secret? There are a couple of keys. The first one is 1 Corinthians 12, 13. If you have your Bibles, turn over there, and I'll just quickly show you this. 1 Corinthians 12, chapter 13. The first one is the Holy Spirit. This is something you need, must understand. And many Christians don't, so I just want to take just not long, but just a quick second here and show you something. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, it says this. For we are all baptized. What did I say? 1 Corinthians 12, 13? Or 2 Corinthians 12, 13? Yeah, now 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It says, For we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body. Whether you're a Jew or a Greek or a slave or free, an American, Chinese, Russian, Brazilian, an African, whether you speak in tongues, whether you don't speak in tongues, whether you're a Baptist or a Pentecostal or a Methodist or Episcopal, if you've been born again, you've been given the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means this. We use the phrase, when Jesus came into my heart. I use it all the time. The Bible does. What does that mean? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Yes or no? You believe He rose from the dead? You believe He's in heaven? You believe He's at the right hand of the Father? He says He is. He says He's preparing a place just for you. Then let me ask you a question. How can He be in your heart and be in heaven at the same time? Here's the answer. What happens literally when you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior The Holy Spirit is the one that comes into your heart. He comes in. And the fact the Bible has a special word here used for that. He says you're baptized by the Spirit of God. In other words, He comes into your life, the Holy Spirit of God, and He dwells in you. All of you, whether you realize it or not, that's what happened when you got saved. I'm sure you didn't know that. I didn't know that. That's what you learn after you get saved. I have the Spirit of God. In fact, I could show you other verses in the Bible that says you have now been sealed by the Spirit of God until the day of redemption. The Bible says that you are now in the hands of God. You've been adopted by the Holy Spirit into the family of God. You know what that means? That means you are a child of God and God will never let you go. You belong to Him. And He is in you and you are in Him because the Holy Spirit now lives in you. And you can go to bed tonight knowing that if you die, you're going to heaven. Not because of anything you did. It's because He came in and forgave you. 
And not only did he forgive you, but he lives in you. Now, I want to ask you a question. There are many things that happened when you got saved you didn't know about. You got justified. You got sanctified. You got baptized. The Holy Spirit sealed you. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus wrote your name in the book of life. I mean, there were so many things that occurred when you gave your life to Jesus Christ and you didn't even know all that, but God knew it. But there's something else that happened that you probably never thought about. I know I never did. <clears throat> Let me ask you, how many ears do you have? Two. No, you got more than two. Because when the Holy Spirit came into you that day, He gave you some more ears. Because in Matthew eleven fifteen, Jesus said, If you have ears, what? Let Him hear. What in the world is Jesus talking about? He's saying this. If you've got ears, everybody's got ears. Lost people got ears. Saved people got ears. So what's he talking about? Well, I'll tell you what he's not talking about. He's not talking about physical ears. He's talking about spiritual ears. And what he's saying is, when you get born again, when you get saved, when you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into you, he puts spiritual ears in your soul. Every one of you have spiritual ears in your heart. And that means you now have the capacity to hear God and speak to God. And God has the capacity to speak to you. Lost people don't have that. That's why they behave as lost people. Don't get upset at the way a lost person behaves. He's just being normal. But when you give your life to Jesus, you've got spiritual ears. You've got the Holy Spirit. Everything changes, you see, because your life has been transformed. So the first key to hearing God is realizing Holy Spirit lives in my heart. He's going to be there for all eternity, and He's given me spiritual ears, and I have the capacity, literally, to hear God. The second key is this one. It's the Word of God. The Word of God. <clears throat> I want to show you how to read the Bible. You know, <clears throat> I have discovered that most folks don't have a clue as to how to read the Bible. And most people don't read it. In fact, you know, <clears throat> here's how we do it. Bring it to church. Preacher says, open your Bibles. We open them up. Then we bring them over here and we go home, put it down. Next Sunday morning, oh, going back to church. Get my Bible again. Get my Bible and then come back. Take it. Put it back down. When we get home, pick it up. And that's the way we do our Bibles. And the reason we don't read them, let's just be honest, is because for most people it's just boring. If, you, if it wasn't boring, you'd read it. Secondly, and I think this is the main reason, or two reasons, is you don't, it's not relative to my life right now, they think. And three, I don't understand it. We're going to solve that right quick. Because I'm going to walk you through an exercise. This is going to be a little exercise, a practical exercise. It's going to show you how to read the Bible and this has the potential to literally, literally change your entire life from now on for the rest of your life. And that is when you learn how to read the Bible. First of all, you've got to know why you read it. And in all of our training seminars all over the world, we, we use gestures to remember things. I, want, I know it's silly, but I want you to do something with it. Put your hand behind your ear, everybody, and just repeat this. To hear God speak. Why do you read the Bible? Why do you read the Bible? 
Turn to your neighbor and tell them why you read the Bible. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Now, why are you going to read it? That's right. You see, many people read it like a history book. Something that happened 2,000 years ago and 4,000 years ago when Abraham lived and 2,000 years ago. No, no. It is a history book, but it's more than that. It's a living, dynamic book that God uses through His Spirit, through His Word, to teach you truths about right now in the here and now for your life. So let's just do an exercise. Turn over to the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to show you three things to do when you read the Bible. And when you do these three things, you'll hear God. In Ephesians chapter 1, now what I recommend you do, I'm going through Matthew right now, but uh, what you do is you take a book. And what I suggest is start with Ephesians, and I'm going to tell you why. It's a short book. It's only got six chapters in it. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 teach you what to believe, and chapters 4, 5, and 6 teach you how to behave. So the book is divided in perfect, two perfect parts. What to believe, how to behave, the doctrinal and the ethical. And what you do is you take the book of Ephesians or any book in the Bible, you're going to start with chapter 1, verse 1, and you're going to read the whole book. But you're not going to read it in one day. In fact, it may take you six months to read it. This is not read the Bible through in one year time. This is I want to hear from God time. So some days you may only read one verse. Other days you may read five or six. It doesn't matter. That is immaterial how much. What you want to do is do what? Hear from God. How do you do that? Well, here's what you do. You want to do three things when you read the Bible. And you can make a note of these if you want or get the copy of this message and listen to it again. Number one, I put my, here's how we do it in all our training seminars. We go like that. You look for spiritual truths. Put your hand up there and go, look for spiritual truth. Good. You're doing good. All right. Look for spiritual truth. What do you do? So when you read the Bible, you want to look for spiritual truths. And when you find a spiritual truth, here's what you do. You take out a pen and underline it. And now the Bible is going to become your prayer book. <clears throat> so you underline. Look at my Bible. You just underline. <coughs> You underline all the truths. Take notes in your Bible. I got one of these wide margin Bibles, so I could just put my own stuff in there. All right? So underline the truths. Now let's just look at it. I'll show you how it works. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. Paul was an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now when I read that, look at me. The Holy Spirit inside of me spoke to my heart. How did he do that? He impressed my mind. He eliminated it. If you've been born again, you know what I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit just, boop, he just, he just illuminates something. He just impresses your heart. And here's what he impressed my heart with. The first spiritual truth was here. Paul became an apostle of Christ. How? By the will of God. And I just underline that part, by the will of God. Because that's the first truth in verse number one. He became an apostle by the will of God. All right. That's the first step in hearing God. First of all, you get a spiritual truth from what? The verse. Step two. And this is what makes the difference right here. Step two. All right? Look at me. When you do this step two, you cross the line. And here's what you do. Put your hand up like this. Say, Lord, 
That means Lord in sign language for the deaf people. Lord, what are you saying to me? Let's do that. Lord, what are you saying to me? Again, Lord, what are you saying to me? Everybody, Lord, again, Lord, what are you saying to me? When you do that, you cross the line because you've just given God permission to speak to you about that truth. Until then, the Bible's just been a history book. Oh, it's been wonderful that Paul was an apostle by Christ, by God, the will of God. But Lord, what are you saying to me? That's when you put your Bible down and you just listen. And let the Holy Spirit who lives in you just speak to your heart through your mind. And here's what God said to me. And I remember I was down in Brazil when I, I read this particular verse. And he says, Wade, I'm going to tell you. Just like I called Paul, I saved you. I called you. You're in my hands. Look what he said. By my will. By my mercy. I just loved you. I tell you what, I've been a Baptist all my life, but I just went, woo praise God, hallelujah. I didn't deserve this. I didn't earn this. I didn't work for it. I just got it by the grace of God. I had to receive it. But I am who I am because of His will, and you are who you are because of His will. And you just keep on going. Look at the next truth. To the saints in Ephesus. Oh, let's stop right there. The Holy Spirit said, hey, here's the second truth. Underline that word saints. But who was this written to? It was written to the saints. I said, well, what are you saying to me, Lord? Oh, let me do, do step three. Step three is you stop and thank God. You say, put this on your mouth. Let's all say this again. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I am called by your will. Thank you, Lord, that I'm saved by your will. Thank you, Lord, that I'm in you because of your will. You just start thanking God. Pray that truth back to God. That's what I'm saying. Pray it back. Pray it back. Now, look at this. You got a word from the word, and when God gave you a word, you prayed the word back to God. Let me say that again. You used the word to get a word. When God gave you a word, you prayed the word. That make sense? You read the word to get a word. When God gave you a word, you prayed the word back to God. In other words, the Bible now becomes entirely the root source of hearing God through His Spirit. Truth after truth after truth and verse after verse after verse. I read the next one. says, to the saints. I underline that word saints. What are you saying, Lord? He said, wait, you are my saint. Right here in Brazil. Well, in Brazil, I had to go by my first name because in Portuguese, they use the W is pronounced like a V and the D is pronounced like a G. And I didn't want to be called Vaji the rest of my life. So I go by Thomas. So I'm known all over Brazil. In fact, the whole world. I just, Pastor Thomas. I used to preach all over Brazil. And I say, you know, you got so many saints down here. I mean, they got more than you can count. Every other week, they turned closing the banks, closing the schools, worshiping a saint. I used to go all over the nation just preaching to huge crowds and say, you got so many saints down here, saint this and saint that and saint this and saint that, but you got one more saint. And they all look, I got one more. Yeah, Saint Thomas, because I'm a saint. And you're a saint, and you're a saint, and you're a saint, and you're a saint, and you're a saint. Do you know you're a saint? God says you are. What is a saint? A saint is someone that's been separated by God for God. You don't have to wait until 100 years after you die to be called a saint. You're a saint now. 
I said, thank you, Lord, that you've called me to be a saint. You've separated me out to be one of your children. You just keep on going. You see, another one is the faithful in Christ Jesus. I said, Lord, what are you saying to me? He says, wait, I want you to be faithful to me until the day you die. I mean, God just spoke that truth right into my heart, right out of that verse. And what you do is you just read book after book after book, verse after verse after verse, chapter after chapter after chapter, day after day after day, week after week after week, month after month after month, year after year after year, and you'll get to know God. Because you've heard Him. Let me close you with this one powerful illustration. Something happened in my life. I went down to Brazil with my wife and three children, 1982. What we didn't know was my wife, Sherry, had a disease called scleroderma. Never heard of it before, but it makes your skin turn hard as rock. If it gets on the inside, it turns hard as leather, and there's no cure. We didn't realize that's what she had. She got worse and worse and worse. and She uh, got really bad. She, in fact, she would be sitting on the toilet with diarrhea and vomiting on the floor and grabbing her stomach in excruciating pain. And It got so bad, I just said, look, let's go home and I'll take you back to America. We had two children here in college, one in high school that was down there with us, and she said something I'll never forget. She says, the purpose of my life is to glorify Christ, both in my life and in my death. And God has called me to Brazil, and I'm going to stay. So we stayed. One day on Friday, I kissed her goodbye, and I went down four hours down the road. I did a church planning training conference at First Baptist Church of Vizaza, Minas Gerais, Brazil. And and, uh, on Saturday morning, people had come everywhere, and I was the only speaker. It was an all-day training conference on how to start churches, and about 10 o'clock, something happened that's never happened before or since. But the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, go home. I went to the pastor of the First Baptist Church and said, I got to go home. And I left. Everybody come there to hear me speak all day, and I left them there. Got my truck and went home. Had no idea why. Literally, no idea. Except the Holy Spirit said, Go home. When I drove up to the house in an old truck, My youngest son, Jason, saw it. He came running out the front door and he started screaming, Daddy, Daddy! Something just happened to Mama. We've got to get her to the hospital. And I walked in that house in Belo Horizonte, Brazil, in a foreign country, and saw my beautiful wife of 23 years dead on the floor of our home. She just suddenly fainted and died. Well, I want to tell you, that put me in a tailspin because I suddenly became a single parent. Two kids here in America and one child there. And uh, so we brought her body back and buried her here in East Tennessee. And then uh, went back three weeks later with my youngest son. 
He thought he was going to die. He literally thought he was going to die. He said, Dad, I'm going to starve. I said, why, son? He said, well, the last time you made me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you burnt that thing. <laughs> so I just continued the ministry God gave me. I, in fact, I had to teach Jason his 12th grade senior class year on our kitchen table. I kid him sometimes. said he's the valedictorian of his class. <laughs> it was a rough time. I mean, hard. I can't tell you how hard it was. Living in a foreign nation, two of my kids here in college, and here I am teaching my youngest son his high school senior year and preaching every weekend, training, doing, I mean, just trying to readjust my whole life without my wife. It was awful. Three months later, I got a phone call and said, your dad's in the hospital in Monroe, Louisiana, and he's going to die. If you want to see him, you better come home. I left my youngest son in Brazil and got on a plane that night and flew back to Louisiana. Watched my dad die. And then I uh, buried him. Got on a plane, had to go back to Brazil because my youngest son was down there. And so I got back, and I'd always go off and preach on Sunday and come back on Sunday afternoon because I had to teach him on Monday. And when I got back on that first Sunday afternoon after my dad had passed away, I walked in that house, and for the first time, there wasn't nobody there. He'd already gone to church. My beautiful wife of 23 years always met me at that door with a beautiful smile and a kiss. She was no longer there. And I tell you, that house was cold. Not freezing cold, but cold. You know what I mean? Cold. Lonely. And I walked back in my bedroom and I lay down on that bed and I just started hitting my hands like this and kicking my feet, crying, screaming out to God. I was angry. You know, when you get angry at God, you might as well just tell God. God knows it all anyway. And you know what I discovered? God's big enough to take it. And it's at those times that God gives you the grace that you need to make it through life. And I'm telling you, I'm speaking to people right here. Somebody is going to go through this. Loss of a spouse, loss of a child. Deal with cancer or whatever it is in your family or maybe yourself. And I said, Lord, what did I do? And God said, do what you always do. You know what I did? I didn't change a thing in my spiritual life. I just started reading from the Bible. I said, God, i got to get a word from the Word. i got to hear from you now. I'm on the bottom. And God gave me a word. And I'm going to tell you, it was this. I just started picking up my Bible, and I started reading through the book of Isaiah. I started with chapter 40. And I started reading it, just like I taught you to do. I said, God, I want to hear from you. And I got down to verse 2. And when I got to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2, God spoke a word in my heart. Boy, I'm telling you, if it hadn't been for that, I don't know if I could have survived it. But see, God gave me a word, and here's what it was. You will walk through the fire, but you will not be burned. I'm going to tell you, I went through the fire. I mean, I went through hell. I was like in a dark tunnel on the back end, and there was a little light out there. I could see that light, but it was so far away. 
and I was back in the backside of a dark tunnel, but I knew someday, somehow, I'm going to walk out of this thing. Because you see, Jesus was that light. And he made me a promise. You're going to walk through the fire, but you're not going to get burned. And all through the grief, and all through the crying, and all through the agony, and all through the soul pain, I knew that Satan wasn't going to touch me. I was not going to get destroyed. And all that time, God started just pouring his grace in me, giving me comfort, giving me strength, giving me hope. And I don't know when I walked out. I couldn't tell you the exact day, but I can tell you, I got out. And a friend of mine told me how you get out. He says, when you can think of Sherry, that was her name, instead of crying and weeping, you can think of her and smile with a lot of pleasant memories. That day came. Not only did that day came, but God sent a beautiful missionary, single missionary to Brazil from West Texas. She was a social worker, a soul winner, church planner, beautiful on the inside and out, landed right there in our city. And her name was Barbara. And God spoke to my heart. He said, you're going to marry her. So I went over to her house one night, knocked on her door. I said, Barbara, not now, but one day I'm going to marry you. And she fainted. <laughs> Thank God she didn't die. <laughs> and then God gave me another verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, to confirm that. And Barbara and I have been happily, wonderfully married, both marriage and ministry, for 17 years. I couldn't live without her. I love her with all my heart. But you see, God took his word in my heart and applied it during a crisis situation. You don't always have to be in a crisis situation to hear from God. Hear from God every single day. And when you hear from God through his word daily, I'm telling you, you'll get to know God. And he'll direct your path. He'll lead you on those dark days, and he'll lead you on those great days, and he will guide you because you know that he has his hand on you. Let's pray. you're here today and you've never received God in your heart through Christ, you can do it now. You say, what do I got to do? <laughs> Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open that door, I'll come in. Jesus is wanting to come into your life right now. There's really only one thing keeping him, and that's yourself. But right now, that can change. You can say, Lord, I'll open the door of my heart. Just pray that. It's not the prayer that saves. There's nothing magical about prayer. It's Jesus saying, come into my life. Take control, Lord. Be my Savior. Save me now. Pray that, will you? In a moment, we're going to have a group here to sing. And If you prayed that prayer and you're not ashamed of Christ, we're going to ask you to get out from where you're sitting and come here and say, I want to publicly confess my faith in Christ. I'm taking my stand today. But I know that most of you are believers and you've already been saved and you've asked Jesus into your heart. But I want to ask you a question. This is for all you who've been saved. I want to ask you a question. Do you really know Him? Maybe God's speaking to your heart and saying, you know, you know me, but you don't know me in a deep way. And maybe you're like I have been and have to come back to that same point at some time. Lord, I make a commitment to you as a believer to get to know you. 
I'm going to get to know you.